Okay, I am scared of the Goosebumps movies, The Girl Who Cried Monster. I'm scared of Goosebumps, A Day at Horrorland. Well, when I started watching The Blob That Ate Everyone when I was five. Because there's like this guy who has no skin on. And A Day at Horrorland. Yeah, well, kind of scared of the basement. And I think I'll be scared of Night in Terror Tower. That's pretty scary. It's not complicated. We all fear something, and the smallest fears can grow into giants. For victories over the giants in your life, look no further for inspiration than the life of David. <laughs> well, we're in a series of messages on the life of David, described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. We're studying from First and Second Samuel as we, together, pursue the heart of God. All other ambitions in life sh should be subservient to this priority. I know there are some people who think that they'll have the time and the opportunity to pursue a vital relationship with the Lord further down the line. But I counsel you strongly to start today, start now, whatever your age, whatever your circumstances, to pursue God's heart. Last weekend, we saw David was on the sidelines. He was overlooked. So, have you ever felt forgotten and alone? Listen, there are some good opportunities to pursue God's heart in such seasons of life. Some of you know that my mother is in a Christian retirement home in Joplin, Missouri. At 95, she is in a season of obscurity. She, she doesn't drive anymore. She seldom gets out the confines of the big house at Spring River Christian Village, but she is determined to pursue the heart of God in this season of her life through a ministry of prayer and encouragement to the residents and the staff there. I'm proud of her for that. This past week, I received a touching letter from Steve Pernat. Steve is one of our Crossroads members who is serving a two-year sentence in the Federal Correction Facility in Ashland, Kentucky for financial fraud, a charge to which he pled guilty, a sin of which he has thoroughly repented. And Steve is now demonstrating integrity and humility. He's pursuing the heart of God while he is incarcerated. You cannot get any more obscure than that. He's working right now with the prison chaplain to introduce Christian videos to the inmates. And he wrote, please say hi to everyone for me. I'm praying for Crossroads to keep moving forward as well as for you and the other pastors who are leading. Thank you for your prayers for me. I love you all. And I still have God first in my heart. By the way, I have some little slips of paper with Steve's address on it. If any of you want to drop him a note, just come down and see me after the service. Well, this weekend, we move from 1 Samuel 16 to 1 Samuel 17, and we transition from pursuing the heart of God in obscurity to pursuing the heart of God in victory. And since there are 58 verses in 1 Samuel 17, if you'd allow me, I'll just tell you the story, and then I'll pull out and expose some life lessons from the text at the end. One of the most famous battles in history is described in the Old Testament, and it was not so much a battle between two armies as much as it was a battle between two people. The battle in the Valley of Elah, 
between David and Goliath. And that valley is still there today. Because you see, my friends, that's the difference between the Bible and every other so-called religious book. God's Word is not mere philosophy that is written by one man. The Bible has 40 different authors. The Bible has historical narrative. It is factual. It is verifiable. You can actually go and visit these places mentioned in Scripture. You can see the geography. You can inspect the archaeology. And if you ever visit the Holy Land, I promise you, your faith will be confirmed. Back to our story. The Valley of Elah is this mile-wide canyon that is situated between two slopes. So you can imagine the scene. On one side stood the Philistine army and their invincible champion, Goliath of Gath. On the other side were the Hebrews and their weak-willed king, Saul. And the Philistines are clearly the aggressors. Goliath would come out into the open area between the two armies, and he would shout taunts at the Israelites. And he did this for 40 days, every morning and every evening. And Scripture goes into great detail describing this giant of a man. He was nine feet six inches in height. That's six cubits and a span. Seven inches taller than Robert Wadlow in the Guinness Book of World Records for his height. Two feet taller than the tallest NBA player. I'm not sure who that is today, but it used to be this guy, Minute Bull. Remember him? He was seven feet six inches tall. He weighed only 200 pounds. This guy only had one stripe on his pajamas. That's. Yeah. He had to run around in the shower to get wet. Yeah. Had to wear skis in the shower to keep from going down the drain. This guy. Yeah. Turned sideways, stuck out his tongue. He looked like a zipper. Yeah. Enough of that. Well, as a matter of fact, we, we have a guy that rivals uh, the height of Minute Bolt in our church. He's just been with us the last five weeks. He's going to play on scholarship at the uh, University of Southern Indiana as a freshman, a great Christian young man from the Southeast Church in Louisville. His name is Connor Chalfont. Connor, come on up here, just uh, so folks can kind of get the measure of you. Yeah. Connor, I notice you have the microphone. Is there something you'd like to say? Uh, no, no, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. All right. Oh, my bad. I touched the forbidden hair. I apologize. That, that kind of disrespect will put you in the same boat with Goliath. Well, here's a picture of Connor. We've got him with a couple of our Crossroads ladies. <laughs> well, listen. Had a little fun with that. But Goliath is considerably more filled out, to say the least. He looks more like this. Yeah. That's in the lobby of the Sight and Sound Theater in Branson, Missouri. And that is nine feet six inch tall Goliath in full battle regalia. And those two sweet things down there are my wife, Kayleen, and my granddaughter, Morgan. This guy had to weigh close to 500 pounds just to support 
the gear he wore, the bronze helmet. He had 150 pounds of armor from his neck to his knees. He had a, beer sh a, a, a spear shaft like a wooden beam. It had a 15-pound iron point on the end. And he had a special shield that was so big that it had to be carried by a second man. And Goliath's proposal was simple. He said, send out your best man. He'll fight me, and whichever one of us prevails will carry the day for his army. If your man wins, we become your subjects and serve you. If you win, if I win, rather, you become our subjects and serve us. Well, Saul and the Israelites saw him, heard him. They were paralyzed with fear. Nobody, nobody wanted this suicide mission. Enter David sent by his father with food and supplies for his three older brothers who were serving in the army. While David is at the battlefront, he overhears the defiant challenge by Goliath. And then he learns that the victor in this battle with Goliath will get great wealth. He'll get King Saul's daughter in marriage and the opportunity for his father's family to be permanently tax-exempt. What a deal. What a deal. All he has to do is kill a man twice his size, a battle-hardened giant in full body armor, while David, on the other hand, is a boy not even old enough to be in the army. Well, the fact that David was even entertaining the idea made his older brother Eliab hopping mad. I think Eliab was probably carrying a grudge because he was passed over as a possible successor to King Saul. Either that or he was embarrassed by David's courage or maybe he just had control issues. Anyhow, when Saul heard that David had volunteered to fight Goliath, he sent for him. And in this meeting, David said, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. I'll go and I'll fight him. And Saul said, you're too young, and you have neither the physical strength nor the experience. Well, David said, I'll have you to know that I have single-handedly killed a lion and a bear while tending sheep. So Saul relented, saying, go, and the Lord be with you. But first, Saul tried to put David in his armor. But David chose instead to go out and fight the giant with nothing but a sling and five smooth stones in a leather bag. And when Goliath cursed David, calling him a dog, David replied, saying, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. And then he went on to warn him in detail that he would strike him down, that he would cut off his head and that he would feed his carcass and those of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And that is exactly how it went down. David finished his speech and ran to the battle line, loaded his sling with the stone and launched it like a missile, striking the Philistine in the forehead. Stunned or killed, he fell on his face before David, who pulled out the giant's sword to behead him, and so Goliath goes down. He goes away. And the Philistines ran. 
And the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout, and they chased them back to the city of Gath, where they won a great victory. And David took the head of Goliath back to Jerusalem, and he kept the giant's weapons as souvenirs of his victory. So ends chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. By the way, have you ever wondered? I have. Why did David choose five stones? The first one did the job, and it had to. He would not have had time to reload for a second shot at Goliath. Could it be that he chose five stones because he knew that there were actually five giants aligned with the Philistines? And David thought he was going to have to face Goliath's brother and three of their friends. The other four giants are actually mentioned in 2 Samuel chapter 21, verse 15. It says, David became exhausted, and Ishbebenab, one of the descendants of Rapha, and when you see that one of the descendants of Rapha, you know that this is uh, this tribe of supersized people whose bronze spearhead weighed 300 shekels and who was armed with a new sword. He said he would kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, came to David's rescue. He struck the Philistine down and killed him. Giant number two goes away. 2 Samuel chapter 21, verse 18, In the course of time there was another battle with the Philistines. At that time, Sibekai killed Saph, one of the descendants of Rapha. Giant number three goes down. 1 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 5, in another battle with the Philistines, Elhanan killed Lami, the brother of Goliath, who had a spear with a shaft like a weaver's beam. Giant number 4 goes away. 2 Samuel chapter 21, verse 20, and still another battle which took place at Gath. There was a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in all. He also descended from Rapha. When he taunted Israel, Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, David's brother, this is not Saul's son, Jonathan, this is another Jonathan, killed him. Giant number five goes down. So could it be that David chose five stones and each one of them had a different name on it? I think in his courageous God confidence, he was ready to take them all out. But I want you to notice something. David's leadership in stepping up to eliminate Goliath put heart in his comrades. And they stepped up with courage, inspired by David. Listen, folks, there's a leadership lesson in this for us as parents, for us as students, pastors, businessmen, physicians. You be the one who initiates. You be the one who courageously pursues the heart of God in your family, in your school, in your workplace, and then watch while others imitate your faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. So what are our takeaways today? What are the life lessons I promised? Well, pursuing the heart of God does not just involve being quiet, spiritual introspection, prayer, 
Bible meditation. Now, I hope by now that all of you have experienced the great pleasure to be found in those things. The great pleasure that is a part of becoming a deeper person in a shallow generation. As I studied 1 Samuel, though, I was surprised that I did not find a single prayer by David in chapter 17. It's just not there. No evidence that he prayed once. It's all action. Now, if you go to the Psalms, they are absolutely full of David's written prayers for deliverance from his enemies. But in this text, 1 Samuel 17, he's all business. He's a man on a mission. And so what is the evidence that he is pursuing the heart of God? I think there's some evidence. And the first thing is you see that he was jealous for God's name. If you're pursuing the heart of God, you will be jealous for his good name. David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace? From Israel, Who is this circumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Later on, David would say he was troubled by the disrespect that was being shown for God that was expressed in his presence. So, does it bother you when it happens in your presence? Now, I'm not suggesting that you go out and buy a slingshot and start picking off family members and coworkers. And, and don't take their heads off, <laughs> verbally or literally. But David's heart for God prompted him to do something. And maybe the something that you and I should do is more like a loving confrontation or maybe a thoughtfully written note or passing on a resource of some kind, a book or a CD or a a DVD, or maybe giving someone an invitation to your small group, or maybe doing something, a good deed for them that'll produce goodwill, that'll give you opportunity to share the good news. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer, and the word for answer there could also be translated defense. Be able to give a defense to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. In other words, as a Christ follower, be prepared to give a reason, a defense, for the hope that you have. Give a defense, but do it without being defensive. Jealousy for God's name. I think that's evidence that we are pursuing His heart. I was about David's age, I think, when I was attending a high school commencement of my cousin, the speaker at the commencement service, used God's name irreverently. He also used what I considered to be some very inappropriate humor. And afterwards, I told my folks, I'm going to go down and say something to that speaker about it. My mother said no, but I was already halfway to the stage. After all, I had seen my dad shrug, and I was going to go with that. Sometimes, sometimes I am jealous for God's good name. Pursuing the heart of God is to be loyal to Him. And that loyalty will sometimes prompt you to jealousy. And David was like this. He was not passive. He's, he's a leader. 
He pursues the heart of God. So when he heard Goliath defying God, he was agitated. He had to do something. So let's do what we can to remove disrespect for God, disrespect for his truth in our generation. Well, what else do we see here as evidence that David was pursuing the heart of God in victory? Well, he stepped up to serve God's purpose. He didn't, he didn't just feel this jealousy for God's good name. He stepped up to serve God's purpose. Look at verse 32. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. He's unintimidated by the battlefront. He is unintimidated by his oldest brother, Eliab. He is unintimidated by King Saul. He's unintimidated by a giant of a man. He is unintimidated by the threat of death itself. David announces, I will go and fight. And because David had lived close to God's heart, he is amazingly, amazingly confident for his age. But I've seen kids like this. I've seen kids like this coming from strong Christian families, strong church families. Typically, they look you in the eye. They smile. They speak confidently and respectfully. They're responsible. They're emotionally mature. They're comfortable in the presence of authority figures. That's David. And when his older brother publicly humiliated him, saying, Why are you even here? Who's watching the sheep? You're conceited and evil. You only came because you want to watch the violence. David said to his oldest brother, What have I done? Let me speak. And when Saul questions his experience... David documents his qualifications. And when Saul tries to dress him in his own armor, David respectfully refuses. He isn't trying to impress the king. He is his own man. And when Goliath bellows his insults, David does not melt with fear. He coolly informs the giant about what's about to happen to him and the Philistine army. He is not insecure. He courageously steps up. He courageously speaks out with conviction. More evidence to me that he is a man after God's heart. Well, what else? Well, I think he shared his personal testimony one-on-one. That's evidence of pursuing the heart of God. When you will share your personal testimony one-on-one, look at verse 37, David said to Saul, The Lord delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, and will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And let's not forget who David is talking to here. He's testifying to a king, a king who was not living for God at this time in his life. David told Saul that the Lord had saved him. He gave God the credit for his salvation from predators. And the truth is, every one of us who've been saved from selfishness and sin, every one of us who belong to the Lord have a story to share with others. So do you have your personal testimony in mind? And do you freely share it when you have the opportunity? You remember our Easter service in the Ford Center? You remember the testimonies there on the big screens? That was a warm experience for me, and the video testimonies that we sometimes show of our baptisms. We have some folks in our church 
who are very intentional and very strategic about sharing their testimony. Tony Boyer lights up his home every year at Christmas time. He's got palm trees in the yard, colored lights trained on the palm trees. He's got all kinds of things. He's even been known to dress up in a Santa Claus suit and, and parade in front of his picture window. People hear about it. They drive by. They see it. And then they see a little sign that says, Take one. And in a cylinder are some papers rolled up, and you can reach in and take one, and you read it, and it's his testimony written out for people to read. Jim Bingert's one of our guys. He was in the 9 o'clock service this morning. Opens up his elaborate electric, electric train set for families to enjoy, and every visitor who sees this free exhibit gets a copy of his personal testimony. It's just a couple of ideas of how you might express your heart for God. And when you share your personal testimony with another, you are actively pursuing the heart of God. Well, he also put his confidence in God alone. Look at this in verse 45. He said it. We mentioned it a moment ago said to Goliath, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. So David's confidence in this defining moment of his life was totally in Almighty God, threatened with death. He expresses strong faith. A closeness to God that had been forged on the hillsides and in the peaceful valleys of the Bethlehem countryside would now be tested on the hillsides of battle and in the valley of the shadow of death. And in his darkest hour, David puts himself in God's hands. He entrusts himself completely to the God whose love and protection were well known to him. What about, what about you? When your daughter decides to marry someone you cannot approve and you know you can do nothing about it, or when your son comes out of the closet and your dreams for his future are crushed, or when your child is victimized and you want justice, or when you're diagnosed as terminally ill and you are anxious, when your spouse announces that the marriage is over and you are heartbroken, Satan is coming against you in the form of a giant of despair. It is his weapon of mass destruction. And your best defense is to come against him in the name of of the Lord Almighty. And if you put your faith in Him alone, He will vindicate you and He will ensure your ultimate victory. Well, finally, David pursued the heart of God, and it's evident because he declared his faith to the world, not just one-on-one, -on -one, you see, but he found a way to declare his faith to the world. In verse 46, he said, The whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that the Lord saves. David desired for the world to know of God's power and protection. He wanted the world to know of God's friendship and faithfulness. He wanted to, the world to know of the joy of worshiping him and being blessed by him. 
You see, it's not enough for us to bask in the grace of God, smug and secure, content in our own salvation. David's act of obedient faith was going to impact others who would hear the amazing story of God's miraculous deliverance, and here we are, centuries later, reading about it, being blessed by it, energized by it, empowered by it to live for God in our generation. So there's a ripple effect from your life and mine that impacts the world in our generation. I'll tell you, each week, each month, each year, however you give to God's work through Crossroads, that is one way that you are declaring your faith to the world. You know what you're doing? You're planting new churches in India and Japan. You're providing counseling and housing and food for the under-resourced men and women and families in Evansville. You're extending a, a, an evangelistic witness in North Africa and in Central Africa. You're doing benevolent work in some of the poorest countries of the world, like Haiti. You're rescuing young children from sex trafficking in Myanmar and in Cambodia. You're providing clean water and AIDS relief in Kenya and on and on it goes. Things that you and I would not be doing on our own. But through our ministry partnership in the life of this church, we participate in touching the world. If you're after the heart of God, you've got to care about sharing your faith, declaring your faith to the world. One final question as we close. Have you declared your faith to the world? You know how it begins. Declaring your faith to the world begins by receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. The pursuit of God's heart begins, like David said, in the presence of all those gathered here. Begins by surrendering your life to Him. It is a visible expression of your love and devotion to Jesus Christ who said no one comes to the Father but by me you know this past week as I've lived in this passage in 1 Samuel chapter 17 you know what was really hard for me to fully comprehend <laughs> the God who gave victory to David in his battle with Goliath stood by him, empowered him with courage, undoubtedly helped to guide that stone to the most vulnerable place in Goliath's head. That God that David pursued, that God who gave victory to David in his battle, he is my God too. He is your God too. And if he is not, if you've not come to him through Jesus who said, I am the way, then we invite you to make that decision this morning. Our section host will be there to meet you immediately. Some of us will be here at the front if you have a decision to make. Now's the time while we worship in this final song.